off. You know, what's interesting is Jesus was probably born somewhere around Passover. In fact, many believe that it was either on or close to it. It's very, very possible that Jesus was, his birthday was the day he was crucified. And we're going to talk about the Christmas story today in a way because uh, this last fall we did a thing called More Than a Book where we went back to Israel and we filmed for a series of messages and small group videos uh, from the land of Israel. And, and we just said, you know, let's, we're reading our Bible, but let's read it from the land in which it was written, which it was lived out. And there are so many things we discover when we do that. And it's interesting when you go back to Bethlehem, you're going to see pictures of this. When you go back to Bethlehem, because really Israel was the backdrop for which God was going to reveal his presence, reveal his son to the world. And, 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 and arguably God's greatest thing he ever did was the birth of Christ. I mean, he split the Red Sea, he sent plagues, he did miracles, all of those things. But the birth of Christ was found in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem would have been a small farming community of about uh, 3,000 people. Many scholars believe it would have been about 1,000 people. 90 miles south of Nazareth, it would have been a four to seven day journey walking on this, this rough terrain from Nazareth to, to Bethlehem and in about five miles south of Jerusalem. So it had been very close, a bedroom community of Jerusalem. And, and in, in this whole thing, as we tell you this and we talk about Bethlehem, our goal isn't to make your nativity obsolete. But we tell a story that probably didn't happen the way we think it did. And so today, I want to tell you the story, really how many expert scholars, those who study the region, who've been there, when you, you're there, you see it. We're going to tell the story, and we want you to come join us as we tell the story. And we're going to talk about uh, some things that will cause you to think at the very least. Yeah. The history of Bethlehem, you know, often we just think about Bethlehem as being the place, the, G the story of Jesus correlated with that. But, you know, it started way back before that. And Bethlehem was, uh, many great stories came from the little tiny town of Bethlehem. And many of the names we know in the Bible are referred from there as well. Did you know that Bethlehem was first mentioned in Genesis with the story of Jacob and his wife, Rachel? And it's actually there that Rachel dies in child, gives, gives birth and dies in childbirth with Benoni, and she named him Benoni, which means son of sorrow. But Jacob took a place right there in Bethlehem and renamed his son Benjamin, which means son of strength. And then we also see Bethlehem again mentioned in, um, it's the whole landscape actually for the, the backdrop of the story, the love story between Ruth in the book of Ruth, between her and Boaz. And we know this story to, to talk about the, the great redeemer, right? So again, it all points back to Jesus in the, in the birth of Jesus. Finally, we, we also, who can forget that the birthplace of King David, the great King David, and this young shepherd boy was on the hills of Bethlehem when he slaughtered the the bear and the lion, and it was in this place that he was being prepared for his future assignments. So this little town of Bethlehem that we talk about that was only a thousand people big actually had a great resume of the greats in the Bible, and it leads right up to the very birth of Jesus. I often think of this little town as if you drove into it today in a small town in Minnesota. You might see a plaque or a sign or a statue 
that shows these famous figures or names them. I mean, we have Mary Tyler Moore in Minneapolis, so I'm sure that yeah, that's what they almost, did, right? Almost close enough. No, okay. It. It's not have you ever driven same. in those towns and you see the sign <laughs> and they say this famous Olympian is from here, here. And this person? You drive into Bethlehem and you see Rachel and yeah. David and Ruth and the birthplace of Jesus. It was an incredible little town. And most people, uh, maybe mm. you've heard of the Christmas story. You've heard it told um, just by reading the scriptures. And um, what's interesting and you have to keep in mind is that there were hundreds of witnesses of what took place. It's funny to me when people say, well, we don't even know if that's true. <laughs> Come on, we can't get people to agree to do anything together. How would you get to get that many people to agree to lie yep. that these things took place and that there were angelic <coughs> declarations that were given to people of his coming? This really happened. And it isn't a coincidence how it happened, that everything, every part of this entire birth process was intentionally done because it was declaring something to all of us today so if if uh, you don't know which Christmas story we're talking about it doesn't start this way it was the night before Christmas and all through the house not a creature was stirring not even a mouse yeah isn't it sad that many kids know that better than they know the actual Christmas story you know isn't it interesting and this is where I'd really challenge you and, and I don't know why I feel like this. I really want to challenge you. Our kids really need a more of an expectation, not of Santa coming, than an understanding of who Christ is. Because that, it gets turned on its head. And if you don't think that has an impact later, it really does. Because that's, one's a fictional story and one actually happened. And we don't, we don't want the true story to even have any competition is something that didn't take place. We don't want for a moment them to think it didn't happen. So before I get into it, I want to start with really where it kind of started. There is this four to 600 year in which God really, is, he's speaking to people, but it's not being recorded. There aren't scriptures and books. The Old Testament ends, the New Testament starts with about four to 600 there. They call it like the centuries of silence where, where there's not much there. And then all of a sudden on comes the scene um, uh, <coughs> story with John the Baptist's parents, mainly his dad, Zechariah. He's in the temple and he's serving and an angel comes to Zechariah and, and it says in verse 12 of chapter 1 of Luke, and when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for you, your prayer is heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call him John, what's interesting is you just, most people read right by that as I did over many, many years. And someone shared something with me I thought was interesting. The name Zachariah is important here because you got to keep in mind the silence that's there. Where is God? Maybe you've started off life and you're like, God, there's all these things. I felt like God was telling me now I've lived life and circumstances happen. It hasn't gone quite like I thought it would. Where has God been? Zachariah is there, and this is what Zachariah, the name Zachariah means. When the angel declares Zachariah, he was actually saying more than his name to call him, say, hey, Zach. What he was saying was, God remembers. Zachariah means God has not forgotten. You know, what an incredible way to start the whole Christmas story narrative. He comes to Zachariah and says, just as your name says he hasn't forgotten, God has not 
forgotten his promise to you. Get ready, he's coming. And the promise of Jesus Christ soon followed after that. So we're going to take a look at three identities of Christ that we see in the Christmas story by taking a look at the three main parts of the story. And the first one is this, Christ, and it's simple. They're simple. They're simple. Tell someone next to you, they're simple. Do you like the music playing? I think it's putting some people to sleep. (laughs) Actually, someone says what we're talking about is really causing people to think to the point where they're just like non-responsive. So be responsive, okay? (laughs) Here's the first one. He was human. Jesus was human. Everybody who interacted with Jesus believed he was human. They struggled to believe he was divinity. We, although he's Jesus, he was God. We struggled to believe he was human. And if you're going to experience salvation, you first have to accept this was a human. Not God, even though he was God in a bod, he was a physical human being. It says in Luke chapter 2, in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree as a census should take place of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to this firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes, placed him in the manger, because there was no room in the inn. And I say it that way because that's how we kind of read it. What's interesting, I'm gonna, this is kind of the Christmas story. Caesar wants their money. So he tells Joseph, you need all the people, you need to go back to your town. This primarily probably happened in Judea, Syria, right in there. They, he had to go back to Bethlehem because he owned property in Bethlehem. You, you, don't, you can't tax someone for something if they don't own anything. The reason he goes back is because he owns something that Caesar wants to tax. The census, if you don't know history, you'll lose sight of this. The census takes between two to three years to accomplish. So when they go back, not only is he going back, but his family is going back to Bethlehem as well. So there is this migration of people moving at this time all over the place. They're selling their places. They're packing up their stuff, putting it on donkeys, and they're passing each other along these ancient highways to go back to the cities where they were because they're not going to sign a piece of paper. They're going there to live for two to three years. So Joseph and his betrothed wife, when they leave Nazareth, A betrothed wife of 13 years old, Joseph would have been much older, pregnant, left to go to Bethlehem. And we think when they got to Bethlehem, she, nine months pregnant, riding on the donkey, gets to Bethlehem, and she just happens to give birth on the the time she gets there. It's not how it happened. In fact, it says in the verse when you read it, while they were there, there is no way they would have left in nine months. Infant mortality was such a serious issue at the time. There's no way they would have waited nine months. In fact, they left Nazareth betrothed and arrived in Bethlehem married. It's amazing. Something took place there. They would have have left months before she gave birth. Okay? 
And she probably would not have been riding the donkey because the donkey would have been the pack animal that would have hauled all their stuff to Bethlehem. She probably would have walked pregnant that rigorous journey of five to seven days down to Nazareth. And when they arrived, they wouldn't have been met with a bunch of people saying, oh, you're giving birth? We're not taking you in. We are ruthless people. We don't care about women going into labor. I would argue not one person in here, if a pregnant woman going into labor had no else to go, you would open your home. And why do you think you're so much nicer than the people of Bethlehem? Have you ever stopped and considered? Because that wasn't the case at all. See, in our nativity, we only put Joseph and Mary in there with the baby Jesus because he was all by himself in loneliness. And he was, no, 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 that's not true. He would have arrived and Joseph's family would have been there. They would have built a home in those days. They had a cave where they would have put their animals and their cook their food and they would have the working utensils. They would have had the living area above that and they would have had rooms built off the side because when a son returned, they would build homes basically onto the family house. That's what they did in the ancient days. They would have been preparing for them to come. So they would have had a place to stay. They were there months before his birth. What they were saying is, in actually is the word katalum. Katalum means the living room of the house. It would have been the living area. It's where they would have went. And there was no room in that area. Why? Because the entire family were part of the birthing process. So they would have all been down. They went down into that lower cave. So it wasn't a wooden shed. They weren't alone. They didn't have talking animals, so they wouldn't feel lonely. They would have went down there. The entire family would have been part of the birthing process. And when Jesus entered the world, he was born into a family. Right? Listen, you may be with your family and you're sitting there or maybe going to family and you're a little concerned. Can I just encourage you with this? Everyone has a crazy Uncle Eddie. Everyone has nieces and nephews that you want to crown with many crowns. And I just wish they would discipline their children. There's always that aunt that gossips and the aunts and uncles that give the best gifts and everyone who's trying to be the best and insecure because it's, we're humans. And Jesus came as a human and he was born into a family just like every one of us. He understood what it was all like. And he was a perfect gift in the midst of the imperfections of families and all the spots and wrinkles of family. And you know what's interesting? It's Hebrews 2.14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Isn't it interesting, an interesting thought? When a baby is born, you can see the mother and father in the baby. When Jesus was born, you could see Mary in him. But then you could see the Father, God, literally flesh impacted by the DNA of God in Jesus. That's why he says, when you look at me, you see the Father. People were drawn to him. Have you ever considered that when you looked at Jesus, you were seeing your heavenly Father? That's incredible to me. What an incredible story where God and flesh come together to create this person we call Jesus. <coughs> He came for four reasons, to reveal there was a God, to reveal the truth about what that God is, reveal and accomplish the plan of salvation, and to reveal that there is life after resurrection. 
Jesus will become the savior to anyone who recognizes him as the human representative of God. Well, it's important that we remember that he was truly human, but we also have to know that he is our perfect <coughs> sacrifice and our priest. In Luke 2, 8 through 14, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy to all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find him wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest in heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. The shepherds. You know, I don't think it's by accident. In fact, it was very purposeful that the angels appeared to the shepherds and not just anybody else. I don't know about you, but I've always considered the, the shepherds to be of lowly, lowly class, low class, lowly people with very little influence. But it's actually quite the opposite. They were respected. They were highly respected, highly revered, and very influential. And the reason being is they held in a very important job. They, they were the ones that were raising the sacrificial sheep that would go and be the temple sacrifices. And so these sheep that they raised aren't just like any other sheep. When you drive down the road and you're heading past a farm and you see sheep, those are not like the sheep that these guys were raising. They were raising sheep without defect, without any blemish, because they were being used as sacrifices, and they had to be. So these sheep were being fed a certain way, allowed to do things, not allowed to do things because they had to be near perfect to be the temple sacrifice. So as we would look at it today, these sheep would have been organic, right? The best of the best. So these shepherds were very highly respected because of this. Now these, the people from towns, throughout the towns would be coming into Jerusalem to do these sacrifices. And rather than bringing their own sheep, they would stop into Bethlehem, just a few miles into Jerusalem, and they would pay for the sheep to be slaughtered um, that this, they'd use in the sacrifice and using these. So it was by no accident that the angels appeared, appeared to the shepherd. Those shepherds held clout with people. They had influence. So just after the shepherds experienced this angelic encounter, they took off and they headed into Bethlehem to find the baby Jesus. And it says in the, the, the scriptures that they found him just as the angels had said. He was lying in a manger and wrapped in cloths, and they did worship him. But as soon as they were done with that, guess where they went? They headed back into Jerusalem. They headed back to the hills of Bethlehem to tell everybody what they had just experienced. Because it's no small thing when you encounter an angel and see the Jesus Christ in the flesh, right? So they headed into town to tell everybody what they experienced. And I love what the text says. It says that all of the people were amazed. You know what? The Bible doesn't have any errors in it, so it could have said some or a few people, but instead it says all the people were amazed. And it tells us something, that what they said was believed. It, was, it wasn't just a question mark, you know, in the minds of people. They were amazed because they believed it. The other thing that I think is very interesting is Jesus was born on the very hills in Bethlehem that these sacrificial sheep were being birthed and raised as well. Do you think that's a coincidence? I don't think so. Jesus, just as the lambs were wrapped and placed in mangers, so was Jesus, the Lamb of God, and the future sacrifice that would validate all the previous sacrifices. Jesus became the eternal sacrifice, the once 
and for all time sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 1 through 4 says this, For this very reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeatedly, endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would have no longer felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are the annual reminder of sins. It's impossible for the blood of goats to take away the sin. See, those sacrifices didn't work, but they were a foreshadowing of the one that would work, that would come, and that would be the ultimate sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 11 through 4 goes on. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when the priest, remember we talked about Jesus being the sacrifice, and he is the priest. It says here, when the priest Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And that is all of us. Amen. Jesus has become the perfect sacrifice and priest, declaring forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of your sins, your past, your present, and even your future sins. Now that is good news. That is the great news that caused the host of angels to descend from heaven to declare the good news of Jesus' birth to those shepherds. And it's still the greatest news today that Jesus will become the Savior. He'll become your Savior if you just recognize him as your priest and your sacrifice. So Jesus is a human and he's a priest and sacrifice. The third part of this story is the story of the Magi which has revealed God's kingship, that he's the king of all kings. It's interesting, the Magi, we think that they came and they're in the nativity and there were three of them because they brought three gifts and so there are three. But it's not like that at all. In fact, how did the Magi even know that Jesus was anything to celebrate? How did they even know about him? They're Persians, they're from a long way away. They would not have arrived until two years after the birth of Christ. How did they even know? Well, it all goes back to the book of Daniel. When the Israelites were taken into captivity, Daniel became one of the heads and leadership and one of the people they looked at and there was great respect. Then the Persians defeated the Babylonians and the Persians loved the Jews. In fact, they adopted many of the things that the Jews did because, because of people like Daniel that were there. In fact, they let them go build, rebuild the wall of the temple, rebuild the temple. The Persians were all about that. And the wise men of Persia had Jewish customs and truths that they studied. So when they saw this light, and, and we call it a star because it's the best way to describe it, but people who've studied the scripture said even the word infers a luminary, much like the light that fire at night that led the Israelites to the wilderness, that it was more like that luminary that led the wise men to, to, uh, uh, to uh, Jerusalem and eventually to Bethlehem, and that they followed it to the house, and then they see this two-year-old. Now, what's interesting about these wise men is that how do we know there were more? Well, when they came into Jerusalem, it created enough of a commotion that they even had an audience with King Herod. And in, in a funny fact, if you think about it, King, king Herod was the king of the Jews. But the wise men came in and say, hey, we're looking for uh, a baby who's the king of the Jews. 
and Herod doesn't kill him. Why? Because Herod would have killed his own family if they were trying to take his position, right? He ended up killing two-year-olds to try to keep them from, but he doesn't touch the Magi. You know why? Because the Magi were known in the Persian Empire as the kingmakers. And if you were going to be a king in the Persian Empire, you honored these kingmakers. And you would not become a king unless a kingmaker gave their stamp of approval. And why is that so important? Because even the kingmakers come and when they arrive at the house and they see this two-year-old baby and they're carrying security, there's many people, there aren't three shepherds, there's multiple shepherds that come. I mean, there is a crowd, there's family, there's shepherds, and then the kingmakers show up. Why? To make him king, right? No, 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 no. These kingmakers, when they see this two-year-old, they lay down their gifts and they begin to worship this king. You know why? Because he's not a king that men make. He's a king that God gave. That even the kingmakers worshipped him. See, you got a choice. From the hills of Bethlehem to the seats of Farmington, you have a choice. It's a choice whether you believe the true story, not some story that leaves out a lot of facts, maybe doesn't have all the details, but the story that Jesus was a king from the time he was born. People recognized king. The angels witnessed or announced it. The people witnessed it. The wise men came to declare it. And throughout history, we've seen it even to the time when Pilate said he's king of the Jews. Not just king of the Jews, but king of all kings. See, nobody in this room is good enough. Nobody in this room is good enough. If you think you're getting into heaven because you're good enough, you are being deceived. If you think you're getting to heaven just because you call yourself a Christian, my friend, I'm, I'm declaring that's not true right now. Christianity is one of the worst religions in the world because God never came to create another religion. Jesus came to open up a new and living way in which we could have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you say, but I want to go to heaven and I want to be forgiven. It's not about forgiveness of sins and going to heaven. All those, those things happen and they're good. If that's why you prayed a prayer because you just want to go to heaven, everybody wants to go to heaven. That's not what it's for. It's very simple because God knew we needed simple. There is a place he's prepared for those who want a relationship with their heavenly father. And then there's a place where there are for those who just want to go to heaven, but they don't want to know God. The, the problem is it's probably not going to be nice. The Bible declares one is the lake of fire and the other as the new earth that he will create for those who want relationship with him. And there is no other options. You, you cannot, I, it's okay, you don't need to like it. And you don't need to say, oh, I think that's just what, you don't need to even agree with it. The reality is that's what it is. The place for those who want to spend an eternity with their heavenly father, who Jesus came to declare existed and said, I am the direct representation of what he's like. And there's a place where those who just don't want anything to do with him. Will you stand? Pastor Zach's going to pray with you. But if you would, just close your eyes only because I want you to think. Is your faith for life after this world based on your behavior and how good you are? Or is it based on your pursuit of the creator of the universe?
because that's what's happening right now. Christ came to reveal God so that we'd pursue him. That's what's happening right now. It's not about going to heaven. It's not even about forgiveness of sins. Who wouldn't want that? It's about a pursuit of a creator that loves you like a father. If that's what you want, will you raise your hand and say, that's what I want today. That's what I want to experience in my life.